0: Hello, I'm Hannah. I'm 29. I've lived in Edinburgh for seven years and I've been to this church for seven years. Um, And I thought we could pray to start. It's always a good place to start. Um, Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you spoke the world into creation and that you spoke to us in body through your Son. I pray that you would provoke and encourage us this evening by your word and that we would leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're joining us today for the first time, we are a couple of um, evenings in to a series on the kingdom of heaven, um, which Jesus talked a lot about in his parables, which are stories that he used to explain the world from the viewpoint of the kingdom of heaven. Just take a look at the graphic, very helpful graphic, although I've obscured it with my flipboard. Um, A lot of us... Think of our lives. Maybe we don't think about our lives that much. I think about our life often as a little bit of a kingdom. And in that kingdom, my default is that I am the queen of my little kingdom. And the world is a lot like this. So everybody's king or queen of their own kingdom. And as king or queen of your own kingdom, it means you're allowed to decide what are the laws of the kingdom. So maybe in your kingdom, stealing is okay. Maybe in your kingdom, a little bit of a lie is all right, but definitely don't, you know, break into a car or something. Um, And as your own king or queen, you get to decide the perimeters of morality. And you get to decide the perimeters of who's allowed into your kingdom, who's allowed not in your kingdom, Do you see see where I'm going with this? Excellent. Um, Jesus' often introductory words during his teaching was, the kingdom of heaven is here, or the kingdom of heaven is now, or the kingdom of heaven is come. And what he was declaring really radically is that you are just not king of your own life. You are not queen of your own life you're not, you didn't make yourself, you didn't form yourself, you can't even control the breath in your lungs. When he walked into those streets and into those homes and into those villages and said, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is now, he was saying, I am the king of heaven, and I'm here to tell you about what that kingdom looks like. And that's jarring, because it's a bit like um, the Queen of England, someone coming to the Queen of England and saying, actually, you're not the queen. I'm the new queen, here's my new set of laws, my new set of principles. And everyone in the country is going to have to change their mindset to see what it's like under a new kingdom. And that is what it's like when Jesus walks into your life and he says, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's hard, it's hard to wrap your head around it. And thankfully he gives us his spirit and his word to help us. But one of the things he gave us were stories, because he knows we love stories. Um, And so today we're going to look at one of the stories he told to explain what the world looks like when Jesus is king and his kingdom is here. So if I could have my first slide, that would be great. Thank you. We're in Matthew 13, 44. Jesus is amongst um, people. He's been doing a lot of preaching. He's out on the hills. And he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. Now there's a variety of parables and if you keep coming each week you'll hear a little bit more about each parable. For me this parable reveals something of the economics as they function in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this is a story about high yield investment. Right, I don't really know how that works in real life but I know how it works in the kingdom of heaven. This is a story about a long term savings account. Yeah, It's a story about cost and value. Um he's giving us a lesson in how cost and value works in his kingdom. He's telling us what the treasures are and he's telling us what it's going to cost. So, got some very simple questions. What are these treasures in the kingdom of heaven for us to enjoy? What is the cost? And thirdly, will we, like this man, receive them with joy? Or, on an alternative, will we be just very aware of the cost and not so aware of the joy? Now, When I originally prepped this, I wrote a list of like seven things that I treasure about God's kingdom. And I don't have time to list them all. If you want a list of all the things to treasure about the kingdom of heaven, read the book of Romans. Oh my goodness, what a mine? But I was praying, even on my way here, and I felt like God said, keep it simple. So I'm going to keep it simple. For me... The treasure of the kingdom of heaven is his desire to make his family really, really big. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven for me is his desire to make his enemies into his heirs. And let's spend a moment looking at how he does that so that our hearts can be filled with joy that this is the king of heaven. Most kings, when they have an heir they're pretty happy with their heir. They're like, let's keep the heir safe in the castle. He can inherit the kingdom. Keep everyone else out there so they don't come into the kingdom. Our king's not like that. He wants as many heirs as possible and this is how he does it. Firstly, our God is sovereign. Yeah, completely his own kingdom, which makes us his subjects. Now, as his subjects, we are by nature unable to live up to all the laws that he sets for his kingdom because the laws in the kingdom of heaven are to be on par with God's goodness and his perfection. And when we fall short of that, we no longer have access to our sovereign king. So then, like treasonous subjects, we become God's enemies. So we start off... As enemies of a sovereign king, but grace. Grace is a method by which Jesus turns us from his enemies into his sons. And it works a little bit like this Imagine that you an enemy and traitor to the crown, sneak into the king's castle because you know that there's one room filled with treasure. You stab his guard, break into the room, steal the treasure and run away. You have an absolutely fab time because your kingdom of lots of money, having a great time, is now up here. However, God is sovereign. He says, uh, sorry, can't do that. That's not allowed. I'm king. He brings you into his court and he charges you with stabbing one of his guards and stealing all of his stuff. And as king, he's allowed to set the punishment for those evils. And he says, Friend, well, enemy, you have to die. You committed a treasonous act against my kingdom. I'm sending you to the gallows. But then he says, I've sent my son to the gallows in your place. I have cleared all your charges. Go home, be free. You're not guilty anymore. That's mercy. God starts with mercy with us. Then, about a week later, you get a little note from the king. You've been having a pretty good week, actually. You're not rich, okay, but you stabbed a guy and you got away with it. So that's quite nice. Okay, now you get a note from the king saying, oh, I need you to come back. I need you to come back into the, to to my to my throne room. And you'll be like, oh, this is the catch, this is the bit where it's not gonna work, because I'm gonna come back, and he's gonna be like, tricked you. Not really mercy. Off you go to the gallows. You go back to the kingdom, you knock on the door, you walked into the room, and the king is there. Nothing seems to have changed. He doesn't treat you like an enemy or like a treasonous subject. He says, Come, come in. I have a piece of paper I want you to sign. And you're a bit like, oh gosh, what's this? Walk up to the piece of paper. It says, adoption papers. The king of the kingdom wants to adopt you into his family. And he says, and I'll show you what I've got for you. He shows you the room of treasure that you tried to steal and a second room of treasure that you didn't know was there. And he says, these are yours. And he gives you the keys to those things. Mercy is not getting a punishment that we did deserve. And grace is getting double favour that we never earned. We go from enemies to heirs in Christ because of his mercy and because of his grace. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody, if you've seen their life turn When they experience what mercy is and when they experience what grace is. I'm a youth worker. I've been doing it for seven years. And I have seen children turn into young people, turn into adults, hear about mercy, understand grace, and live differently because they know that they're children of a king who loves them and will love them forever. And for me, that is the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. There are many treasures. That's the one I want to pick on today. The fact that he can turn an enemy, someone who despises him, those who spat on Jesus when he was being crucified. He was dying for them. He turns enemies into heirs. And the other thing that he promises us is a home. Um, He promises us a home in heaven. And there was some talk this morning... Um, Luke talked a little bit about a yearning that we all have, an unsatisfaction on this earth Um, C.S. Lewis said it like this if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I wasn't made for here and there is a desire in all of us to come home and sometimes I'm at my home or with my family and I'm like oh, doesn't I feel like there might be more. Where's my my home? And Jesus and God in their kingdom have a home for us. And that home is heaven. And if you have accepted Jesus' sacrifice and accepted his mercy and accepted his grace, then that home and that heaven is yours. And it will be yours forever. And you're going to spend a whole lot longer there than you're going to spend here. And as part of that home the Bible tells us a couple of things are going to happen. There's going to be a wedding, which I'm really excited about, and we, the church, are going to be the bride. There are going to be homes that we will live in and dwell in together with God, because the barrier between us will be completely gone. There's going to be a feast, and there's going to be an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And Today, I felt like God wanted us to fixate on these two aspects of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. One is that he loves to make his family as big as he possibly can, and nobody's excluded from the invitation. And the second is that once you're in the family, you get to come home. You get to be the bride at a wedding. You get to put your feet where Jesus dwells and never be ripped asunder. And if you aren't a Christian today, let me invite you to accept this treasure of a home that never goes away, of a peace that cannot be shaken. Um, If you look at the story, I wondered why Jesus told it twice. You know, it's the same story. There's a treasure. With joy, he sells everything. He comes back to get it. And the difference is, that the first guy he was just digging in a field he wasn't looking for treasure he found treasure and when he found it he obtained it for himself the second was a specialist pearl looking for man yeah he had spent a long time looking at pearls he knew which ones were the real ones which ones were the dud ones and when he found one that was incredibly valuable then he gave all he had in joy to obtain it and What I sense from God this morning is that there are some of us who are looking for a family and looking for a home. You are like the man who is looking for a pearl. And Jesus says, you found it. I'm offering you my family. I'm offering you my home. And there are others of us. Have I just done the looking for one or the not looking for one? The looking for one. There are others of us who weren't looking for it. I don't know how you came in here this morning or what certain circumstances brought you to sit in this chair. You might not have been looking for God. You might not have been looking for home or for family. Nevertheless, you have found it in the gospel. You have found it in Christ. It is offered to you invitationally. Come and take. Now, I've told you all about the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, but there is another part to this story. In joy, he goes, sells all he has. Just take a moment to imagine what he might have. Sells all he has, buys the field with the treasure in it to obtain the treasure. Now, I have an active imagination, so I imagined the next scene in the story. The guy sold everything he has. He's bought a field and his pals say, dude, why did you buy a field? Because they don't know there's a treasure in it. They don't know there's a treasure hidden in it worth 10 times more than you already had. I sense in our lives as Christians there's a slight gap in between our understanding of the treasure of heaven and other people's understanding of the treasure of heaven. We're always going to look a little bit odd when we know there's a buried, a buried treasure in the field and everyone else just sees a field. And we need to get a bit used to that. Um, I also was praying about this and I felt like God had a slight challenge for us today about the cost um, that is included in coming into the kingdom of heaven. Um, A good example of this is a baby. Nobody buys a baby, but a baby is very costly. Coming into God's family in his grace is a free gift. You never earned it. But once you have come in, God's kingdom requires that you bring all of yourself, all of yourself to be healed and renewed and made whole and all of yourself as a sacrifice before the God who sacrificed himself for you. There is another story of a conversation that Jesus has um, with a man. where they are having this conversation, if I could have the next Bible verse up. Jesus says, he's actually had this conversation with three people in succession, but I've shortened it for us. Jesus says to another one, come and follow me. The man replied, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. I think this is absolutely scandalous. He just wants to say goodbye to his family. And Jesus says, if you set your hand to the kingdom of heaven and then look over your shoulder at what it costs you, you haven't understood the kingdom of heaven. And I sense possibly just in my generation but probably in more than that a slight attitude of yes Lord I'll follow you but look at everything I've given up until often the attitude becomes look at everything I've given up for you Lord rather than look at the treasure I get in heaven look at the treasure I get in Christ look at the treasure I get in making a family for God that will last for all time And I felt this challenge in my own life, and I felt it for us together. There is a cost to following Jesus, and it can feel high, but only if you keep looking at the cost. Look at the treasure. I implore us, look at the treasure. Um, There are four areas that I thought that God wanted to highlight to us tonight in terms of where we're looking a bit too much at the cost and not quite enough at the treasure. And this is where the flipboard will really come into its own. Because, you know, that's not the best. Bear in mind, as we talk about these things, that there's two ways of looking at each of these aspects of our lives. One is looking at it through the lens of cost. Oh, it's horrible to give that up. Oh, my life's so uncomfortable. Or the attitude of joy. What will Jesus do with this aspect of my life when I give it up to him? The first challenge that I thought he wanted to give us was finances. And this one always stings. I am 29. I'm an artist. And I don't make a whole lot of money. I find long-term savings accounts very intimidating because I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to make a long-term savings account look particularly respectable. And when I started thinking about a long-term savings account, I noticed in my spirit a question that Jesus was asking me. Are you long-term investing in a kingdom that you're building? Or are you long-term investing in a kingdom that I am building? Any kingdom that I build, I mean, the most I could probably, probably when I'm forty, make it. I could probably, probably buy a house, maybe. But Jesus invites me to invest in a house in heaven made of His people that I get to keep forever, and He invites me to use my finances to build that house. It's really exciting but it also kind of stings. I challenge us to hear the invitation of God to use our finances to make his family bigger rather than make our kingdoms feel a little more secure. So that's the choice. The second one is marriage. I sense a slight attitude and you may have sensed it too, that marriage is something you sort of have to obtain. Sort of on a list of things you'd like to have done, tick, tick. This, I think, is people who aren't quite married, aren't quite married, but people who are married probably have a different perspective. But I I wonder if often we go into marriage thinking of having somebody for ourselves rather than the way that God presents it, which is having somebody to lay your life down for. I talked earlier about the marriage that is going to be in heaven. There will be a marriage in heaven to end all marriages. It will be the marriage of heaven with earth. We, the church body, will be the bride. Jesus himself will be the bridegroom. And all of history is leading up to that point. And whether you are single or married, you are called and invited to participate in in forming a picture of that marriage to the people around you. If you're married, that means laying down your life as you were asked to for them sacrificially every day. If you're not married, it means looking forward to the day when you are a bride in Christ. The other thing about marriage is wedding planning. I love a bit of wedding planning. I've got lots of friends planning weddings. And I wanted to ask a question about about weddings, which is... There are earthly weddings, and I love earthly weddings. But in terms of the heavenly wedding, who's on your guest list for the wedding in heaven? Who would you like to see seated amongst the bride on the day when Jesus comes to claim her? Isn't that maybe more important than wedding lists? And my other question is, what would you like to adorn the bride of Christ on the day that you participate in being her? Will she be adorned with justice or will she be adorned with stuff? These are the choices that we're making now and every day. Do you want to make your life beautiful by adorning the stuff around you or do you want to make your character beautiful in readiness for the bridegroom who's coming to get you? These are deliberately challenging questions and I have nothing against weddings. I love weddings, but we are given them because they are a picture. You're invited to participate in a prophetic picture of a wedding that is coming. It's not about you. Your marriage isn't about you and your wedding isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And it's not costly. You're invited to be a part of that picture and I, I wanted to invite you into that. The third one is home ownership. I also sense a, a, a trend, and you can tell it's a trend, to think of building our own little kingdoms because we've started using the words forever home. Have you heard this? Have you heard this come up in like house buying chat? Maybe you're not quite at that stage yet. Someone will say, we're really we're thinking of buying this house, but we'll, we'll buy it and we'll make it up because it's not our forever home. Oh, oh, it drives me crazy. If you're a Christian, you don't have a forever home. Your forever home is in heaven. If you have the blessed situation to be able to afford and buy property, it will be as a prophetic picture of the home you get to reside in in heaven, which won't be according to the fashions and tastes of this world. The home that's being built in heaven is one of family. Can I invite us in our homes, in whatever form they come, to think of them as a way to demonstrate the kingdom of God to people? And the kingdom of God is invitational, which means show hospitality, bring people into your home, and don't mind if it's a little bit messy. Don't mind if there's a couple of dishes left on the sink. Don't not invite people over, and I'm speaking so to myself right now. If you haven't remembered to hoover the carpets, Because the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of carpets or washing up. It's a matter of family. And Jesus is desperate to have his family increased. And that is us. I think often we look around the world and we say, where is the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looks at us and he says, you are it. You are standing on it. Everywhere you go, I have given you. That's our invitation. Let's build a home that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And let's fill it with people that God's heart longs for. And my final one is respect. I actually, when I look at this list, I see the tick list of the mid-twenties, right? Get a long-term financial plan, get yourself hitched, buy a house, and make a name for yourself. Is that not the list of things that the world wants to accomplish and tells you that you'll be happy when you have it. The thing is, I know a lot of people who have this stuff. They don't have the joy of the man who gave up everything to obtain the treasure. When you obtain the treasure of the kingdom of heaven and participate in his family, there is joy like a spring that wells inside of you and you are happy to give up these things for that sake. Respect is my hardest one. And I'm always aware that it's costly to my reputation in the field that I have chosen if I say anything about God. Oh, it hurts! Because they're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think that I blindly follow a set of rules. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I think this is true. And maybe the most everyday battle that we face You're in the office, in the workplace, in a cafe. Something of the kingdom of heaven springs to mind. And you could say it out loud. But they're going to think you're weird. Yeah? They're going to think you look... You're just going to step out of the normal realm. I'll tell you something about stepping out. The kingdom of heaven is just outside your comfort zone. It's always outside the line. You always have to step over it. And you know what that line was for Jesus? It was the cross. I'm so glad he stepped over it. I'm so glad he paid the price. You only have to pay the price of 30 seconds embarrassment. Pay it. (laughs) Increase his family. Bring them into the kingdom of heaven for all time. When I was prepping this, I felt in two parts. I felt the severity of what it was that Jesus was asking us to do. He didn't want to underestimate how costly it is to give up these things. He wanted to sharply convict us that giving up these things will be an active thing you have to do. It won't just happen tomorrow. But I also felt him say, fix your eyes on the treasure that is the kingdom of heaven. The treasure that is grace. The treasure that is mercy. The treasure is seeing just one more person come into his family to live with him for, for all time. Jesus talks to his disciples about this and they get a bit antsy. Jesus has just finished saying you have to give everything up. And Peter says to him, Look, haven't we left everything and followed you? Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake or for the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and childrens and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. When I track through that list, I see words about family, mother, father, children. I see um, words about home, And words about fields, which is where they would have made their living. All of these things come into submission to Christ. And when we give them up, he faithfully gives them back. I have never given in an offering more. When I have given more in a desire to bless God, he has always given more and more back to me. It says in Malachi, Bring the whole of your offering everything you have into the storehouse and see if I will not open the floodgates of the kingdom of heaven and pour it back out on you. And we don't give up for reward, but when we give up, there is reward. Um, and so let's give stuff up, not looking at the cost, not looking at over our shoulder and making a list of all the things we gave up for Jesus, Let's fix our eyes on the kingdom of heaven, his family that he is building, his promises that he has made. And let's be filled with joy because of them. Um, Let's pray together now, shall we? Oh, God. You would not have one person perish. And we... Are what you have chosen to declare your kingdom in this world. We don't feel worthy, but your spirit fills us with boldness. Your spirit fills us with the ability to speak the truth. Would you come now and show us all the things we can throw off that hinder us from running after you? Would you give us a crystal clear picture of heaven and your throne there and your dominion that will never end? And the wedding we're invited to. Lord God, would you increase your family? Would you use us to do that? In Jesus' name. Amen.